0: the information discussed in this episode is intended as general information only. It is not intended for one-on-one medical advice, and you should always consult your healthcare practitioner before making any changes. And if you like the content discussed in this episode, please go leave a review so that others can benefit from it as well. I am a woman on a mission that is dedicated to teaching you just how powerful your body was built to be. I like to do that by bringing you the latest science, the greatest thought leaders, and applicable steps that help you tap into your own internal healing power. The purpose of this podcast is to give you the power back and help you believe in yourself again. My name is Dr. Mindy Pels, and I want to thank you for spending part of your day with me. Okay. Resetters. So Dr. Mindy and Jessica back with another great interview. And again, we like to go down paths of conversation that maybe you've never heard before. So imagine this for a moment. Imagine you were in the best shape of your life. You had done all the hard work to get to a place where you loved the body you were living in. And then one day you decide to undo all your hard work. You decide to eat fast food. You decide to stop exercising. You decide to change all your habits for the worse and see how your body would perform. Well, our next guest, that is exactly what he did. And not only did he do it once, he's now in process of doing it again, so it is a crazy interview. Didn't you think so, Jess?
1: Yeah, I think, I think it's hard to imagine going through that. Volunteering to do that to yourself and knowing that you're going to go way off the deep end and then have to pull yourself back out and then volunteering to do it again. (laughs) You already had to do it once. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a decade has passed. So
0: our next guest is Drew Manning and a decade has passed since he became very famous. And he actually was on Dr. Oz. He was on Jay Leno. Jay Leno, the Today Show, because what he did is he was a personal trainer and a lot of, and I've heard him talk many times and a lot of the feedback he got from his clients was, well, you have no idea what it's like to be unhealthy. You have no idea what it's like to be unfit. You don't know the the mental and emotional struggle that I go through to try to be, look like you because he's definitely in, in his prime, a very good looking, very built man. So he said to himself, okay, you're right. I don't know. So why don't I learn what it's like? And so at 30, so he's about to turn 40. So this was 10 years ago. He basically went and ate and gained a whole bunch of weight. 75 pounds, I think. Is that what he said? 75. And then he, he worked to undo it and get himself fit again. So his original path was called fit to fat to fit. And here he is 10 years later, he is doing it again. But this time it's called Fit to Fat to 40. So the idea is what does it look like to do this journey
1: at 40? And he's measuring, he's doing a bunch of testing this round that he didn't do before. And you get to follow him live on his Instagram. He's posting every day. I've been following him for the last couple of weeks. What he's eating is insane. I think it he said insane. the first day that he, does, that he came back on, he ate like, what was it? A thousand calorie or a thousand carbs a thousand grams net carbs. And yeah. I was like, a thousand? <laughs> we try to keep people under 50. Right. Yeah.
0: That's crazy. What did you think about how he, because we've interacted with you, Drew,
1: quite a bit. what did you think about how he looked and talked and could you tell a difference in him? I didn't really notice the heavy breathing until you, you kind of pointed it out, but I did notice the energy because he's so vibrant. And so like, he's just always so jazzed to talk to you about any kind of subject. And he he was definitely a little bit lower in energy this round.
0: And you'll see as the interview went on, I actually, I had a lot more questions for him, but I could see that he was getting tired And like mentally and physically, his, his if you, I mean, you guys are listening to this on iTunes, but his body looked like he was getting a little more tired. So it's really interesting when you know somebody at the peak of their fitness level and then they undo it. But what's really cool is that the conversation I think you guys will see is that it's a lot about having empathy for ourselves. It's having about changes, what it takes to make that change, to go from a place of un- being unhealthy to a place of being healthy. So there's a lot of little mindset gems in the in understanding
1: his journey. Yeah. And he also talks about just loving where you're at and having gratitude for where you're at right now, which I think is a reoccurring theme that we have heard on other guests of just being yeah. thankful for the fact that you have a body. You're living and you're breathing today and always moving forward and not being so hard on yourself, which I think is so applicable because we have people that come in from all different types of journeys, whether in their in diet or fasting that come to our platforms. And so it's easy to beat yourself up as you see the comments of people doing five day water fast or people dropping weight and you're not dropping any weight. But I think it really, scratch all of that, it really just starts with you just loving yourself today and everything moving forward is just progress to being a healthier version of you. And the process, and he talks about
0: that, like, how do you love the process so you guys, you can go find him online. Drew Manning, he, he started off this journey as a personal trainer 10 years ago. He then became a keto expert. So you can go find his books on Amazon. He's got a great keto book with a lot of great recipes. So those of you that are looking for more healthy recipes, you can follow him on Instagram and watch this journey. It's incredible. So excited to share this one with you. off with with this because my resetters may have they don't know your story or may, some of them may't but a lot of them don't know the fit to fat to fit story, which is now m- morphing into what are you calling it <laughs> fit to fat to forty story? yes exactly <laughs> yeah so what just to fill our resetters in on who you are and what your journey has been let's go back to the beginning and you were a personal trainer in the top shape of your life. And you decided to go on a... Was it a six-month binge eating experience so that you could gain weight mm-hmm. and then lose it so you had some understanding of what people were going through? So tell us a little bit about that.
2: That's pretty much it in a nutshell. But to give you a little bit more background, you know I grew up in a family of 11 brothers and sisters. you know And we all played sports. So from a very young age, I was very active, very fit, very healthy... And so I looked at the part on the outside, right? My entire life became a personal trainer in 2009. And here I was a personal trainer, someone who has never been overweight a day in their life, trying to help people who were overweight the majority of their life. And there was, I could tell there's a disconnect. I couldn't understand why it was so hard for my clients just to follow the meal plans, follow the workouts. Because for me, in my mind, it's like, it's so easy, you guys. It's not that difficult. You just don't eat junk food and you go to the gym and you see results and it wasn't until one of my clients told me he said you you don't really understand what it's like because you've always been in shape it's always been easy for you and you don't understand how hard it is for me or people like me and so i took that to heart and that's where the idea of the first fit to effect to fit journey back in 2011 kind of came from so i was like you know what maybe i would have it would be beneficial for me to gain a new perspective by intentionally gaining weight and so i did this 6 month experiment where i stopped exercising a, a standard American diet, a lot of processed foods, and uh, gained 75 pounds of pure fat in the course of six months. My health obviously tanked as well and that's where my story kind of started because that story went viral online where landed me on TV shows like Dr. Oz and Jay Leno and Good Morning America and all these shows, right? And then I wrote a book and and this whole fit to fight to fit movement or brand kind of came from that first experiment where I didn't really know what I was doing. I was very young I was 31. I had a different metabolism back then, different mindset, and it was very eye-opening for me and very humbling, that first experience, because I realized how much of transformation is mental and emotional, which I know we'll get into in this podcast. But before, I didn't have any kind of understanding about that. I just thought it was about macros and calories and workouts and supplements and the science behind it all, thinking that's what's going to save people until I did that first experiment.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting. We've had many conversations. I've seen you in person many times and you are now going and we'll talk about this so that the resetters can can understand what you're going through right now. But you sound like you're out of breath. Do you feel like... So you've been going... You're doing the the fit to fat to 40 and you're two to three weeks in it and you already seem like a different person (laughs) eating all that junk food.
2: It's so true. And I was trying to hide the fact that I was like out of breath, but you picked up on it. <laughs> no, because like,
0: I'm like, that doesn't seem like you.
2: <laughs> I know it's so weird. All the visceral fat comes on so quickly. What's interesting is, yes, I'm two to three weeks into my second journey. We'll talk about why I decided to do it again. But it's so interesting how quickly the visceral fat is noticeable to me. On the outside, people are like, you don't really look that different. Like I gained 14 pounds in my first week. And people are like, yeah, you look more normal now. You know, instead of ripped and you know lean, but for me, yeah, the visceral fat is super noticeable. You know, if I'm talking too fast, I'm like trying to catch my breath. You're right? And then, yeah, it's I've so never seen you do that.
0: <laughs> I've never seen you do that before. And I'm like, oh, wow. Like this is two weeks on junk food and look at what's yes. happened. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Well, among a, a lot of other changes too, which we'll discuss as well. Yeah,
0: I want to dive into that. So, okay, let's... One of the things that's the most intriguing, and I, I've told you this before, I saw your first journey and I in the news and I was like, that guy's crazy. <laughs> and then when you came in and spoke to our group at a seminar, what I, what I really resonated with was the mentality that you gained from that experience. Because I do think it's really easy for those of us that are healthy and those of us who have committed our lives to eating clean, we can lose touch with what it's like to come from the standard American diet and and try to come into a place of health. There's a mental game that needs to be played there. So what did you learn in that first experience? Did you have more compassion for people? Did you, what was the big aha?
2: Yeah, for me, it was, it was a couple of different things. It was as I was gaining the weight, I freaked out, I'll be totally honest with you, because up until that point, my identity was my body. So my mm-hmm. self-image was my body image. In my mind, I was Drew, the fit guy. And that was you know my identity at that point in time until I became overweight. And I remember wanting to go up to strangers and tell, tell them and explain to them like, hey, you guys, I'm not really overweight. It's just an experiment. Like, I don't want you to judge me. And it, it was really hard for me to go through that. But what I learned from that is I realized at the end of it, that we are all more than our bodies. And the problem with our society is we attach our body image as our self-image, as if that's our identity. Because our, But our bodies can change. Like someone that grows up overweight their whole life probably has the same thing where their identity is, hey, I'm this overweight person and that becomes part of their identity and they don't know how to separate that. And for me, it took me going through my first experience of that, of Fit to Fit to Fit to really learn that I am more than my body. And so that was the first kind of component is separating body image from self-image. And then the second thing was when I started eating healthy again, so I gained 75 pounds in six months, the next six months, I had to, you know, cold turkey turn the corner and start eating healthy again, and it was shocking to me as a health professional to feel my body in a way fight back against me, my willpower, kind of wanting those junk, unhealthy foods for the first two weeks because I stopped, I stopped eating the junk food, started eating healthy food, and I thought my body would just instantly bounce back and love the food and feel great. But I I honestly felt miserable for those first two weeks where I, I had headaches, I was moody, I was grumpy, I was starving all the time. And the food didn't taste nearly as good as I remembered it tasting.
0: Oh, and it was, in that moment,
2: it was in that moment that I realized the emotional connection to food is way more powerful than, than, we, than we think. And even for me, who did this for only six months, I can imagine someone who's been eating this way for years or decades, and then you give them a meal plan and say, okay, here, eat real food their bodies in a way have become so adapted to those unhealthy foods. And my eyes were opened to the emo- how powerful the emotional connection to food really is.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's very primitive. We actually brought on Dr. Bill Schindler, who is a food archaeologist. So he, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's gone back and looked at what our ancestors ate and what we're eating today and and really has helped bring into light that there were so many things that happened back in those primitive days that we could bring into our world now. And one of the things he said is that exactly that, that there is such a physiological, emotional need for food. And, and in our primitive days, it was because we needed to stay alive yes <laughs> and that was why we needed to have a strong emotional reaction so we could get up and go and get food but what i'm hearing you say is like it's there is such a primitive need to be happy with food to have food taste good for to have food give us dopamine rush in our head that there is we have it's hard to unbreak that primitive desire
2: yes 100 and that's where i started to gain empathy. For those that struggle, because in my mind before, like I said, it was so easy just to put down the soda, stop eating junk food. And we think it's so easy until you've been in in that situation where for me for the first time, I was like, oh, my gosh, I had no idea it was this hard. I thought my body would do what I wanted it to do. But in a way, it kind of fought back against me, which was really eye opening. So the biggest lesson I took away from all that was empathy and a better understanding, not a complete understanding but a better understanding on how much of transformation is mental and emotional. That's very overlooked in our industry because we do want to talk about the the, the science and the macros and the calories and people want to know that. But with what the biggest piece that's missing is overcoming our emotional challenges, which which cause us to reach out and become addicted to certain foods or substances, whether it's drugs or alcohol or, or food or sex, whatever it is, we distract ourselves with these substances to numb the pain or to distract ourselves from dealing with the, that stress or that trauma that we haven't really let go of yet and that's until we do you'll keep going through those same patterns of you know in a way almost you know unconsciously eating those foods not really knowing why you keep reaching out for them or why you can't have the willpower to stop eating those foods and that's why there's such an emotional issue that I think every single individual needs to learn how to overcome to break those eating habits or those addictions. Whether it like I said, whether it's food or alcohol or other substances that exist out there to numb the pain and distract ourselves.
0: You you know what? It was interesting when you said that your identity was falling apart when you started to eat bad. And I'm sure you're having that same experience now. Did you, I mean, at least everybody knows what you're doing now, right? (laughs) So, um, but do you think we, I I see it in reverse too, where if I've been overweight my whole life, if I've been eating junk food and hanging out with other people that are eating junk food, it's my community, it's my identity, and it's no longer working for me health-wise. But, if I go and change that, I change my identity. Even if I'm going to change it for health reasons, I change yeah. my identity. And in many times you change your community. Do you have some perspective on that? Or do you see that with the people that you work with?
2: 100%. And this is where it becomes really, really hard for people because they think if I take care of my health, it'll be an easy path because people will support me, they'll be cheering for me, they'll help me out. When in reality our community our friends kind of don't sometimes will sabotage us or make us feel bad if we start changing those habits and take care of our health which means okay i have to spend time meal prepping or i can't go out to eat as much and i can't particularly these foods that we used to enjoy where we could have a good time and drink beer and and eat our favorite pizzas every single week together now it's like all right you guys i'm going to meal prep and take care of my health that can be looked at in our society as not fun not cool lame and so people are almost put down or kicked out of that community, if you will, because like, they're not fun anymore. And that's, what's really hard for people is they do lose that. And that's why I'm saying is the transformation is so much more mental and emotional, where some people want to do good to their bodies and their minds, but people will attack them for leaving or changing their habits. And that's where, you know, as we become adults and grow up and become more wise, hopefully we care less about what other people think of us in those situations so that we learn how to love ourselves first. And that's what's hard for people is they care what other people think about so much. They really haven't developed that self-love in a sense where they put themselves first over what other people think about them. And, yeah. and that's just part of growing up and becoming wiser. I think at the as you grow up and you become older, you realize, okay, I should have done that <laughs> a long time ago, yeah. but it's hard to kind of unlearn in a sense how to do that, you know?
0: Yeah, and imagine if everybody chose self-love first, you yes. would, your relationships would improve because when you love yourself, you know, it's like Vishen Lakani says, hurt people hurt people yes and it's really true like people that are very emotionally upset or not happy with their lives or their bodies they don't they don't walk around exuding love all the time and happiness they can often feel you know very edgy and frustrated and then they turn around and are edgy to frustrated to others so our culture does not applaud people who pause and take care of their health our culture gives credit to those that that are always putting the outside life ahead of the inside life.
2: Yeah, and it's so true. And the hurt people hurt people thing is so true because we also hurt ourselves. So when you're yeah. hurt inside, you tend to self sabotage. You tend to derail and give up sometimes on yourself because you think you're not worth it. You think you're not worthy of of health and wealth and self love. And that's why a lot of people tend to self sabotage because they have the attitude towards themselves. Because at some point in time, someone or something has hurt them so badly that they, in a way, you know, protect themselves with all kinds of unhealthy habits or substances to either one, sabotage, or two, numb themselves from the pain that they're feeling from that. And that's why <laughs> you could give someone the best diet, you could give them the best supplements and give them all the science they need to know how to fix themselves, but it ultimately comes from within of that person feeling worthy enough to, or, or loving themselves enough to be like, you know what, I love myself enough to take care of my body move it in a healthy way every day and feed it healthy food that makes it feel good. And that's one thing that I think people are learning from me doing fit to factor forty this time around versus the first time is people are able to follow as it's happening. So they get to see the mental and emotional shift of how I'm affected, not just with the weight gain, but how yes. it's affecting my brain fog, how it's affecting my my emotional state of mind and my hormones and my sleep levels and my energy levels. Like there's so many things attached to an unhealthy lifestyle more than just gaining fat on my body, right? And so I'm sure we'll, we'll dive into that. Yeah, no, that. I want to dive into what you're doing
0: now. And you said you have some blood work and stuff. So let's go into this. So after you did this Fit to Fat to Fit, you then got into the keto diet and you were really into the keto diet. Is that how you got lost the first set of weight or how did you get into keto?
2: Yeah, I didn't actually. Back in 2011, keto wasn't as mainstream as it was as it is today. So I did more of a paleo-ish approach where it was mostly whole foods, there was a little bit of dairy and a little bit of grains but very minimal. But I, you know, that's kind of how I lost the weight and then it wasn't until a few years later I discovered keto. And honestly, I wish and this is what's interesting in doing it again is I wish I I wish I knew what I know now about right. keto, intermittent fasting and so it'd be really cool to put that to the test this time around because last time I didn't know much about it in 2011.
0: Yeah no, and I'm I'm kind of curious. Well, again, we'll get into it, but I want to know. Like, surely you're going to do some fasting. Like, I bet you're going to drop it pretty fast. It'll be interesting to see. So, okay, so you've been the keto guy. You've been you have a book on it. You've been helping people with their weight loss journey. And then before we get into the your current situation, I have to tell you that I followed you through your hundred mile oh. run. <laughs> and as a former runner, I basically watched you, and I was like. There, That is hell. And he is going to get skinny. It's going to break down muscle. (laughs) He's going to get injured. And then I watched the video of you on the 100-mile run. And I was like, this is not good for the human body. But so tell me why you did that and what your experience with it was.
2: Yeah. So I've been doing keto for quite a while now and actually attempted this 100-mile run last year after reading a book called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. It's a very inspiring, motivational book. Highly, highly recommend it. And after reading that book, I I wanted to do something. A lot of the stuff he talks about is getting comfortable with being uncomfortable and pushing yourself past those self-limiting beliefs that we all have. And so I attempted to run 100 miles in less than 24 hours a year before I successfully did it just recently. And I didn't know what I was doing because I'm not a runner. I didn't prepare properly. I've never run a marathon or half marathon in my entire life. Oh my and gosh. so I was like, why not go for 100 miles? And I know it sounds crazy to a lot of people because... <laughs> but for me, it was like, why not try something that I know seems impossible for you know so many people, even a lot of marathon runners, 100 miles. is like, okay, those are for those crazy ultra marathon people that love to do it. And I felt like, why not? Because... You know, we all have these self-limiting beliefs, like I said, and we never really test the waters because we're we're so comfortable with being comfortable, you know, in our in our comfort bubble, if you will. And I I thought, you know, maybe if I try 100 miles, it might be one of those things where I might surprise myself and and inspire a lot of people. So I tried it, and I failed. I accomplished 80 miles that first year with very little training—six weeks of training, that's it. Really, not really knowing what I was doing. I was like, man. I still see this as a positive because if I can do 80 miles in 24 hours and before that, I've never ran 13 miles. What else What else can I do? What if I train properly for this? Could I really accomplish it? And so this past year, I trained for seven months, worked with Zach Bitter, who's the 100-mile record holder who's keto and broke right. the 100-mile record for... Uh, fastest time on a treadmill and fastest time on a track for 100 miles. And then some other professionals in the field who really helped me train for it from a more scientific approach, using keto and fasting to help fuel me for this this race. And so in June of this year, 11th and 12th, because of the whole COVID thing, I had to push it back and uh, just do it here in Utah. And I was able to accomplish 100 miles in 24 hours. It was hell. It was very unhealthy for the body. I definitely got skinny. It was so crazy. But it was one of those things where I, taught, I, I told myself, every there, there's temporary phases in life. Me getting skinny, losing some muscle mass, mm. training my body, my mind in an unhealthy way for a for a short period of time, if you compare it to your whole lifespan. But to be able to say that I did 100 miles was one of those things where it's like, what else can we do? And what if we never... What if we are like, well, I'm not going to do that because that's unhealthy. We would never really know the limits of the human body and mind if we never really go out there and test the waters of pushing ourselves past these boundaries. And so for me, my 100 mile was one of those things that seemed impossible in my mind before this. So what I wanted to get across to people is what is your 100 miles? Like That Mm. seems impossible for you that you're like, there's no way I can ever do this. But what if you actually train properly your body, and your mind, and you, it starts with small things. And this is something that I'm sure you're a big fan of. But even as something as simple as taking a cool shower every day is something that people hate so much. Mm-hmm. But once they do it consistently, they're like, okay, I noticed a difference. It does feel good. And what that does is it trains your mind to become comfortable with being uncomfortable for 60 seconds or however long you do it. And then you build from there. Maybe it's like, all right, now what else can I do that's uncomfortable that maybe I'll become comfortable with one day and you just yeah. build it from there and for me that was the 100 milers which I did we can talk about how I trained it was a ketogenic approach but I, gonna I also I was going to say did you yeah, strategically did...
0: okay yeah talk yeah. a little bit about it like cuz this is a very common question a couple of thoughts for you very common in our community fasting keto working out what does that look like and then the other point I want to point out so that our resetters really grab this We are so conditioned in this world to seek comfort and we will do everything we can to stay comfortable. And what I love about fasting is the, the biggest thing it'll do is it'll make you uncomfortable and all your stuff will bubble up to the top, all your limiting beliefs about food and everything will come to the surface. And you're going to have to deal with them. And then you're going to get an opportunity just to be in awe of what your body was designed to do. So I, you got me. Now I'm like listening to you and I'm like, maybe I need to do a hundred (laughs) miler.
2: Yeah. And that's what's crazy. And that's why I love fasting as well is is we're so conditioned to be comfortable all the time. We have heater and air conditioner and warm showers and warm bed and soft clothes and, and food on demand. Anytime you want it, you can go and get it and it could be the best tasting food ever. It's amazing. And then fasting is one of those things where it's like, all right, no more food. This sucks. Of course it does. But, you know, it's really good for your body and your mind to train yourself to go through that. Because what if? What if one day we do have a a famine or a shortage of food? It could happen.
0: Well, that you. at the beginning of the pandemic, I told all my resetters when everybody was going to the store, to the grocery stores, and all the shelves. I'm like, "No worry, if we run out of food, like we are all totally fine. We're metabolically flexible. We could go a long time without food. It's so, it's so true. Yeah, but go into what you did with keto and fasting while training, because that that will be really interesting for people to hear.
2: Yeah, so training for a hundred miler is, is a little bit different than training for a marathon, for example, because you know, as when you train for these other shorter distances, you you have uh, you know one maybe two long days of running you know a week where you kind of maybe work on speed work or or hill training or strength training, and then usually like one day a week is your long run and you increase that long run each week leading up to the race. But the hundred miler, I had to build in two or three long days every mm. single week. So some days there would be. A 15 miler on Saturday plus a 12 miler on Sunday, and so that was really hard for me. But what I always did was train my body to run in practice in a fasted state. So I'd always be running off ketones during these longer runs, and that's how I would, you know, fuel myself. I would take water and electrolytes, and maybe sometimes some ketone salts, some ketone uh, supplements. And those seemed to help fuel me just fine because I didn't, wasn't trying to break any records of going super fast for sprinting. On right. sprinting days, I would do more of a targeted ketogenic diet approach where I added in some small healthy carbs before and after my workouts. But then leading up to race day, this is what a lot of people ask. And I use, this is kind of what Zach Bitter does. Is leading up to race day, I would slowly increase carbs slightly. And then the, the night before, I went technically carb up. But I would have probably... 50 50 grams to 75 grams of carbohydrates that last meal, and then the next day, what I did is is, and this is something I learned from my first experience because the first time I did it, where I only accomplished 80 miles, I got so sick of food. I just the texture, the taste, it was it's so weird running for that long, 24 hours. My appetite was completely lost, and I stopped eating the last six hours because we didn't have a lot of variety of food. I had potatoes, boiled potatoes, and salt and some keto bars, and some keto snacks, and some nut butter. And I just was like, I'm so sick of these foods that I've had for the past 18 hours. I can't do it anymore. And so this time around, I literally brought all different types of different textures of uh, simple carbohydrates, super unhealthy stuff. But I knew that this was a temporary thing where I'm like, I need these types of carbohydrates from things like gummy worms, peanut butter, M&M's, chips, peanut butter sandwiches, you know fruit. All different types of textures because I knew that I needed a little bit of glucose to get me through each each loop. So what I right. did was I did a five mile loop twenty times here in Utah, and that's how I was able to do the hundred miles. And so each loop was about an hour long. So what I would do is the first twenty miles I was fasted; I didn't eat anything, just water and electrolytes. And then at mile twenty, because of the heat, I started crashing, and I could tell I was starting to get a heat stroke like symptoms where I was getting dizzy and nauseous. And at mile 20, I finally took in some food, which was watermelon, a bunch of watermelon juice. And then I started jumping in an ice bath uh, for five minutes every loop. Oh. Jumping in an ice bath, which helped cool my core body temperature down because it was mid-90s, sunny, no shade oh. out there on the trail. That's and horrible. so it, it was. And so what I did every hour was I would take a small sip of ketone esters, which is a really powerful ketone supplement. They're the, very kind of expensive, but I would take a, a, a small sip of that to boost my ketone levels. And then I would take about, you know, a 10 to 20 grams of carbohydrates each hour. So that was either in the form of, like I said, peanut butter sandwiches or some type of candy or some type of um, something that I could chew on that didn't, you know, because like I said, last time I got sick of the, the, the flavor and the texture of the foods. And so literally from about 20 through... Mile 100, every hour I would force myself to eat something, even though I wasn't hungry. I maybe consumed 1,500 calories on that day. I burned four. I burned 14,000, according to my Whoop, which tracked my okay. my calorie burn throughout the day. So I lost a ton of weight. I did get really skinny, but I had finished the race. And for me, that was what it, it was. The whole purpose of those types of you know, those types of glucose were to just fuel me just enough to get through the next hour you know, to, to keep myself going. And so I didn't crash.
0: So so just so again, we can make it as applicable to people as possible. You went into this 100-mile run in a fasted state. Yep. And then you you divvied up glucose to your body and ketones throughout the experience. And yeah, that, so I so,
2: can pull from both fuel sources.
0: Got it. Okay. And then the day before, were you doing... And leading up to it, like were you doing... like? fully keto and then strict, just yeah, did...
2: strict keto and then that last meal before was about 50 to 75 grams of healthy carbohydrates potatoes okay. sweet potatoes a little bit of rice something that was easy on my stomach and then and then from there started the race at 10 a.m the next morning had coffee and some ketones and that was it
0: okay and have you ever heard of protein cycling this was some research i found about stimulating mTOR And if you eat protein every 20, every couple of hours, 20 grams of protein, it helps to build up muscle. So we've taken some of our Spartan racers that are in their 50s. And what I have them do is keto Monday through Thursday with with intermittent fasting. If they can go a little bit longer, great. And then the day before the race, we have them protein load because you're stimulating mTOR. Mm. And then the day of the race, I kind of tell them to do whatever. And then the, they recover with protein cycling. Did you, did you experiment with protein at all during this this time?
2: Yeah, I I didn't actually, and that might be a unique approach because, like I said, it was kind of following the advice of Zach Bitter, who right. you know is obviously has his methods down. I didn't use his method completely because he's taking an, an exact amount of carbohydrates every single hour and fat every single hour. I didn't have a doubt in that specifically, but the protein cycling would make sense for me personally. Can you try it again? <laughs> uh, yeah, let me do that uh, Just really, uh, the next month or so. No, yeah. When
0: you're done with this gaining weight again, can we go yeah. back to that? We're actually bringing Zach on the on our show, so we'll
1: we'll yeah, I'll have ask to
2: him his brain about this. See if he's ever done that because like this yeah. was a, a one, probably a one and done type of experience. Let's be totally honest with you, Dr. Mindy. Like I, I don't enjoy running. Like I, I that's why I did it because I suck at it, and I know I do. But I wanted to kind of test the limits here. But, anyways, yeah, the protein cycling thing I have heard of before. I think Dr. Don DiAgostino's talked about it, but I've never thought about using it for an endurance run which would be interesting. So we'll have to maybe next year... We'll yeah, yeah.
0: We'll, we'll chat about it another time because I really think it's an interesting way to use the different forms of chemistry. So you're in a stimulating autophagy during the week. So you're in this like, de- like depletion mode and then you come in right before ra- race day with all this protein, but you do it in a very systematic way and now you're stimulating mTOR. So you go into the race with mTOR stimulated with full glycogen stores refueled, but from a protein level. Level, not a carb level so we've done it with some of our Spartan racers on race day and they are like th- this one guy he ended up qualifying for the national championship and he's like I have no idea how I did that it had to just be the way we had to meet
2: well shoot I should have talked to you before. I know. I well, we'll,
0: we'll, we'll do it we'll do it later <laughs> I'll do it again. The, the other thing that I think is really interesting and this is what how I got fascinated watching you on this hundred race is that I think there's this weird like decision for those of us that like to work out a lot, which is, do I lift weights today or do I go do cardio today? <sighs> and the more I choose cardio the thinner I feel. Whereas if I choose like my TRX or I do BFR bands or something where then I, I start to build up muscle. And I watched how your muscle just broke down. Did you... Was that just me watching you on Instagram or did you experience <laughs> that?
2: It was the filter I was using. No, i was just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, um, it was the runner filter. It, I definitely had to give up. This is what I learned from my doing it the first time around. And you actually have a lot of muscle mass We all know, for the most part, for endurance running, not a lot of endurance runners have a lot of lean muscle mass. Your heart has to work a little bit harder to pump blood to to all those muscles that you have. And so it kind of works against you in a sense. So I was willing to give up a little bit of muscle mass. I probably gave up around 10 pounds of lean mass, to be honest with you, for this race. But with the thought in mind that this will be a temporary phase, I'll be able to put on muscle mass. My body knows how to do that. So I'll give up a little bit to perform and accomplish this task at hand. And then from there, we'll focus more on, on building lean muscle mass later. Now, this doesn't mean I stopped lifting. I still lifted, but I would limit it to two days a week. And that's the thing is like, to recover properly, I had to end to get in two days of long running every single week. I had to some days make a choice. Okay, do I do my 15 mile run today? Or do I go lift weights? What's going to benefit me for the 100 mile? So some days I did have to sacrifice lifting for the, the, the 12, 15, 18 plus 20 mile run days, which sucked. But that's just kind of how I had to, in my mind, had to train for this. Who knows if I were, you know, a natural runner, maybe I could get away with lifting. But, you know, for me, I'm more of a lifter naturally and less of a runner. So I felt like I had to flip the switch on this one.
1: Hello, Resetters. Our sponsor for today's episode is Paleo Valley. So we do a ton of research on all the companies and products that we recommend and bring to you because really our number one priority is that we always give you incredible tools that help you live a healthier life. And Paleo Valley is one of them. They have a lot of amazing products, but the one that is always in our pantries at home and here in our local office is their beef sticks. They are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished, and they use organic spices that are naturally fermented. Their company is literally speaking our love language. They are committed to making the highest quality products, and their beef comes from 100% grass-fed cows raised on natural grass pastures by family farmers right here in the U.S. And today, they are giving our listeners 10% off when you use the promo code the Resetter Podcast 10. So that's the Resetter, T-H-E-R-E-S-E-T-T-E-R Podcast, P-O-D-C-A-S-T, and the number 10 for 10% off your order. And we just want to give them a huge, huge shout out. And thank you so much for creating products that are making this world a healthier place. We need more companies like you. And so listeners today, go check out their website. They also have a great sister partner company called Wild Pastures, where they are trying to get grass-fed and pasture-raised meats for less for people. Right now, it's only available in Denver and Phoenix, I believe. So if you're in either one of those places listening, go check them out. But you can also go to that website and put in your zip code. And when they have availability for your area, they'll let you know. But just an amazing company and 10% off for you guys today. So enjoy.
0: Yeah, it's a it's a hard
1: decision because
0: sometimes like I'll look at my schedule and be like, okay, I'm going to work out today, and what am I going to (laughs) do? Well, I want to go outside and run because it's mentally makes me happy. But then if all you're doing is cardio, then you're not doing activities to build up muscle. So it's you know I think we all go through that. As a menopausal woman, I'll tell you that we see so many women just, as they move into their fifties, lose muscle mass and they're just losing it. And so you have to fight for it. So when you turn 50, <laughs> even though you won't be a menopausal woman, we are going to try some different strategies on you and see what happens. Okay. So, Fit to
2: to 50, maybe we'll see. <laughs>
0: yeah, there we go. So, okay. And also before we move on to what you're currently doing, how quickly did the muscle come back?
2: It came back. So I did that on June 11th and 12th, took a week off of training afterwards to recover properly. And from there, hit it hardcore where I stopped doing any cardio and just focused on slow, heavy lifting. And I was able to put on, I would say, about 12 pounds since then. And that was over the course of three, a little over three months.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, this was years ago, that we have a tremendous amount of mitochondria in our muscles. And when we're lifting or or we're an athlete, what we do is we train these mitochondria to become powerful. So when you stop using them, it's not like the mitochondria went away. They just are, become dysfunctional, just like what you're going through right now. I'm sure your yeah. mitochondria are very dysfunctional. But so the minute you tap back in, like they used, the example I used as athletes. If you were an athlete as a child, you get out of shape as an adult, it's easier for you to get back into shape because you have more mitochondria and at some point your mitochondria were well-trained. Have you heard that before?
2: Yeah. I think that's what people kind of refer to you know, from a less scientific approach when they say muscle memory right? That's more probably an explanation of the whole muscle memory term that people tend to throw around. And it, and it is true for sure. And this is why I tell people ever since my first journey, I said, look, this is someone like me who has been 30 years in shape and athlete fit. And then I'm letting myself go for six months. Of course, my journey back to fit is going to be totally different than someone that's been yeah. 100 pounds overweight for two decades now, hasn't really worked out their entire life, and then joins me on that journey. We're going to look different at the end of six months, 100%. So I just want to make sure people understand that part of it, but, and not to get into the whole comparison game thing. But I do feel like that's kind of, yes. And plus the the mentality, the discipline, the willpower that I have versus someone who is just starting to work out now in their 30s, 40s, 50s, is going to be different.
0: Yeah, definitely. There's a whole mindset piece for sure. Okay, let's launch into what you're doing now. Why the (laughs) heck? Okay, so you're only three months out after doing this 100 mile mile race. Didn't you want to take like at least six months of comfort for a while? (laughs) Why did you jump into gaining weight and going recreating what you did years ago?
2: You know I feel like 2020 is a year of radical change for so many people where we're being forced to change in so many ways whether we whether we like it or not. So I figured hey why not do crazy these crazy experiments like a 100 mile run and my second fit to fit to fit journey in 2020 when really I feel like this is the year of change for so many people and I feel like this it can be even though it sucks right now. In the years to come, it can be good for so many people if we look at it that way. But so, why am I doing fit to fit to fit again? When I did it back in 2011, like I said, you know, social media wasn't what it is today. I was a lot younger. My metabolism was different. My hormones were different, and I was a different version of myself, right? I didn't really know what my message was or what I was trying to get across to people. I was going through it as an experiment to really learn what it's like, and I learned a lot of valuable lessons. Fast forward to today, in 2020, you know, we have social media is totally different the way we communicate with people, I am I turned 40 this year. And so <laughs> I figured, why not do this again? I feel like I can make more of an impact doing it a second time versus back in 2011 when not a lot of people were on social media following along as it was happening. And then also, I have a very clear message this time around of why I'm doing it. Last time around was for me to experiment and to gain that experience. Now I kind of know what to expect from it. It's not so much about me doing it again and gaining the weight again. For me, that's more of a vehicle to get my message across, which is a message of empathy and the importance of having empathy in this fitness industry that is so fixated on body image and being skinny and having muscles. And it's a very judgmental industry. And I feel like it's an industry that lacks empathy. And I feel like no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care first. And that's exactly Mm -hmm. what my fit to fit to fit movement is all about. And so I feel like this time around, doing it again as a 40-year-old, testing those waters out as well to with different hormones and different metabolism. That's that's one reason I'm doing it. But also, too, to, to bring awareness of the importance of empathy in this industry. Because I feel like, like, like I said, it's time for change. Why not try and change the health and fitness industry by leading with empathy first so that people who struggle with body image, people that struggle with being in a larger body, that feel judged, that feel labeled by society, maybe if we start with empathy and, and realize that their transformation is way more mental and emotional than we think rather than judging them about why they can't eat less and why they can't work out like we can. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's where we can really make some changes in an industry that I think needs change. And this is exactly how I'm trying to do it in a weird kind of crazy way for sure. But I feel like sometimes it takes something like that to wake people up, grab their attention, and then hopefully bring home the message of what I'm trying to say by doing it a second time. So that's what Fit to Fact 40 is all about.
0: Yeah, I actually think there's going to be another message that I hope, I mean, I I love that message, don't get me wrong. And I think there's another message that I think would be really powerful. And that is the effect of the standard American diet on your well-being. And I feel like I love this idea of us getting away from the scale, getting away from having to look a certain way. What my mission or or care for the world would really be just to love the body you're living in. And I think a lot of people just don't, when they're they're eating the standard American diet, they don't love the body they live in, but they don't know there's another way out. So I think you're, just like we started this off, you're having trouble breathing. It's like, yeah, this you went from eating clean keto foods to, and t- let's talk about what you're eating, uh, to this really crappy diet, and already we're seeing changes in your in your breathing pattern. And I don't think enough Americans realize that there's a connection between those two things.
2: Yeah, and that's another thing I want to bring awareness to is is that aspect of how much your your diet that you eat affects. You know, who you are at the core of who you are, your personality, but so much more than just weight loss or weight gain. And that's what I think the industry needs change is that people focus so much on the results yes, and they hate the process. They'll do the process. They'll put up with the process of eating healthy and exercising if they get those results. But if they don't, then they're like, why am I doing this? I'm not skinny yet. I don't have the body like I see on Instagram. So therefore, there's no... like Why should I put myself through all this sacrifice so if we can get people to focus on the process and love the process because they love themselves and they're worth it, then what happens is they do the process regardless of the results. And then what happens for most people, is they'll end up getting the results in the end if they stay consistent because they're coming from a place of self-love and they realize that it wasn't about the results in the first place. Getting the perfect body, I promise you, does not bring happiness. Just like money doesn't guarantee happiness. you It starts from within where you're at now while you continue to do the process and and continue to work on a, a, the best version of yourself, it's not about the results. And so that's kind of the biggest thing. But like, you, like you're talking about, I want to bring so much more education this time around, which is why I'm working with a, a lot of cool professionals and then tracking so much more data this time around. And people get to follow it live as it's happening through podcasts like this, Facebook lives, Instagram lives, You know, all the social media platforms we have nowadays is so much more powerful than back in 2011 where people heard about it after the fact but they didn't get to see it as it's happening. And so let me just talk about the, the science and the data that I'm tracking. So I did
0: yeah, I baseline say, blood tell work. Us.
2: Yeah, I did baseline blood work with my, with my doctor. I am also working with a, a, a sex health expert and she's going to be talking about sex hormones and how awesome. this type of lifestyle affects sexual health. I'm tracking my sleep using the whoop app, so my HRV, my heart rate variability, um, you know, and my lack of exercise right now, you can kind of see my my strain levels, really, really you're not low.
0: A, you're not exercising <laughs> at all. you're not exercising yeah. all. yeah, okay. no
2: exercise for four months, other than I did commit to a ten minute walk with my dog every day, and so that's pretty much it to be honest with okay. you and, and walking to and from the refrigerator. <laughs> and then um, the other data that I'm tracking is my macros and calories so people can see exactly how many calories are in these foods that we eat. And so let me let me kind of give you an idea of what I'm eating cuz I know people are going to yes. be fascinated by yeah. this. Yeah, and
0: you guys follow him on on Instagram cuz you're putting out what you're eating. <laughs>
2: yeah. So
0: go ahead. Oh
2: yeah, and my glucose levels. I have my my CGM right here to right. see my glucose response to the, so I'm averaging and this is crazy even to me. I thought it would be around 5000 calories a day. I'm averaging around 6,600 calories a day, and people are like, "Oh my gosh, how do you how do you fit that in?" I'm not do, like stuffing my face every single meal, you guys. The foods that I'm eating, there's a couple of things that that you know that I see here with these types of foods is they're very easy to overconsume. Meaning, mm-hmm. if you were just to eat one cup of cinnamon toast crunch, yeah, you could eat that food, maintain your weight for sure. But to eat one cup does not make you feel full for very long. I promise you that. So I, I'm eating three cups of cinnamon toast crunch two cups of almond milk with added sugar to it, a tall glass of juice, maybe a couple of Eggo waffles with peanut butter and honey on it. And they're right there. That's about 1200 calories, you guys. And then people don't realize how many calories. Okay, that's just breakfast. What about a snack? So for snack, I'm having maybe maybe a bag of chips, like Sun Chips. I'm having a granola bar. I'm having a soda like with full sugar soda or high fructose corn syrup soda, <laughs> yeah, and then you know that's about four hundred five hundred calories sometimes, and then for lunches you know a couple of peanut butter sandwiches, you know you know I'm trying to think I' have white fruit bread too, yeah, white bread, white bread, peanut butter, jelly, peanut butter, and honey sometimes, maybe some Doritos or pringles, and then another snack before before dinner, you know between lunch and dinner, and then dinner time i'm having like oh man, what have i had i've had like frozen burritos i've had corn dogs i've had pasta white pasta with marinara sauce and meatballs pizza of course oh, but then you know i will mix in some veggies so people can see yeah i'm having like a handful of baby carrots or a handful of sugar snap peas here and there or a banana every day and then of course dessert before you go to bed and this is what's mind blowing is my body is literally after 2 or 3 hours of not eating i'm hungry again to the point where i could get in a 1000 calories with these types of foods And it blows people's minds because people are are online and they're telling me, Drew, there's no way that, there's no way you're eating 7,000 calories. I'm like, go follow me on MyFitnessPal and you'll see exactly me measure out these foods. It's super simple. Like it's, it's you can't, there's no room for error, really. You scan the code, it brings up the sorting size and the calories and the macros. And then you adjust, all right, I had three sortings of this. And then it's super easy to follow exactly how many calories and it's blowing people's minds. And even for me, I'm like, I, I didn't, think I would still be this hungry after six thousand calories.
0: Yeah. What's the high what's the highest your blood sugar has gotten to?
2: 195.
0: Okay. 195 post, is the highest. Yeah, post meal.
2: Yeah, post meal. And that's when I don't that's when I have something that's super high in carbs, but not a lot of fat or protein added to it. I notice if I have some type of protein or fat, I'll be bumped up to like the 150s or so. But the, when I had straight sugar, like when I did I was at a amusement park and I had cotton candy I think that's when it got up to to 185.
0: Yeah. And you know, I was thinking as you were talking, we deal with so many people who come from that diet and want to learn fasting. And hunger is like one of those things that comes up. And so we've started coaching people, like don't even start um, intermittent fasting until you take these refined carbohydrates out and add some good fats in. Because if you go from that diet, over, I mean, you you're saying how hungry you are all the time, and now you take that person and you fast them. Yeah. Ooh, that's yeah, torture. Doc,
2: it is. And Dr. Mindy, I learned what the true meaning of hanger is yes. this time around. Because it's so true. If I go four or five hours without food versus back when I was fasting, eating keto, I'm a whole different person. I'm not a nice person to be around because of how intense that hunger is. And I totally get what you're saying. To go from eating that food Then trying to do a five-day fast would be misery in my opinion. That'd be so hard.
0: <laughs> yeah. We start, you know, we do these uh, these experiences every couple of months. I call them resets and we, I take people through different style, ways of fasting. And what we started to see is that we needed to come up with like an like a intro course for people just to go, okay, how do you bridge the gap? Because yeah. <laughs> like you said, it is really difficult when you're in a place of eating that way. And then you look over and you see people who are healthy and eating well and you're like, well, I want that. Give me that. <laughs> But it's not like you just all of a sudden start doing what they're doing. There needs to be a journey that you follow, which will probably be the same for you when you when you go when you try to undo this.
2: Yeah, and also, that's the biggest thing is the, 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 this next four months from August 27th through December 27th. Just watch what I do. Don't do what I do, though, people. Do yeah. the opposite. <laughs> Please, do the, yeah, do the opposite of what I'm doing until December 27th, and then on December 27th is my 40th birthday. And then on the journey back to fit. It's that first Monday of 2021, January 4th, 2021. You, me, all of us together, we'll all hold your hand. We'll do this journey together and I'll be at the bottom of the mountain, just like a lot of people are. And we'll all make that climb up that mountain together. So awesome. showing yeah. people exactly how to do it with, you know, from all the science, scientific stuff. But also the other thing I'm going to be doing, Dr. Mindy, next month is I'm actually going to be exposing four popular fad diets on this journey to Ooh. show the pitfalls and mistakes that people make on these diets. Because people assume if they do one of these four diets, they're going to lose weight automatically and they're going to get healthier. And so those four diets are keto. Even though I'm a big fan of keto, we know people do this version of keto that is not always the healthiest. Keto? <laughs> yeah. I'm going to do dirty okay. keto, gain it. weight. I'll be doing paleo, vegan, and vegetarian and show the pitfalls and mistakes people make on those diets and actually gain weight. And you know my health presumably will become worse. I'll be doing blood work before and afterwards each phase to kind of show how my blood work changes to show people that just because you're doing a certain diet doesn't guarantee weight loss, doesn't guarantee better health. And then on the journey back to fit in January, I'll, we'll do those revisit those diets, but with a healthier, cleaner approach to all four of those diets to educate people on first what not to do and then what to do if you're going to pick one of these four popular diets to do, right?
0: Yeah, oh, I love it. I love it. So, what's the best thing you're eating right now?
2: Like the tastiest food? Yeah. Sugary cereal all day. Like I just had it for breakfast and for lunch today and people are like, "Why are you eating breakfast for lunch?" I'm like, "You guys, it's so good. It's convenient. Why not?" You know, it's yep. like it's the tastiest food probably that in my opinion exists out there, but there's so much good food out there that we have here in America. Obviously, we're so blessed to live in a, a you know, country with so much abundance, but man, I see why it's so hard for people mm. to you really have to go you know above and beyond like put more effort into living a healthy lifestyle versus eating this convenience food that I mean I went to Costco the other day it's mind blowing how much good food there is, like those Costco muffins, oh seven hundred forty calories per muffin, but they're so delicious like and the food is so good and so I see why people get stuck because this food, the culture that we've created is like, hey, eat this food, enjoy it. It's got whole grains, it's got low fat, it's all natural ingredients. Like it, it, we kind of pitch it as if it's healthy. Yeah. And so people fall into that trap of like, oh, I can eat this food and be healthy. But that's the hardest part is it's so convenient and so tasty and it's it's it can be more affordable, you know, yeah. versus whole foods. It's an uphill battle for sure. And that's what my hope is with 50 to 40 is bring some awareness and motivate people in a totally different way and, and educate people as well throughout the process.
0: Yeah, cereal is my absolute favorite as well. And it's <laughs> yeah. something I never ever ever eat anymore. And I I was all like the, I would have cereal for dinner all the time because it was convenient, <laughs> it tasted good, and it relaxed me. And I carried 20, 30 pounds around for most of my 20s. And I remember one day watching a documentary on sumo wrestlers, and they said in order to get them fatter, they would have them do a high—and this is pre keto, right? Yeah. They would have them do a high carb meal and then go to sleep, and the and that when you and I don't know if you're doing this, but once you eat a high carb meal and you go to sleep, you start storing those calories as fat a lot more. And that, believe it or not, was like one of those things that like like I went, oh my god, what am I doing? And then. After I saw that, I had gone on the Master Cleanse for fourteen days. Did you ever do the Master Cleanse?
2: Yes, I have. That's just with the cayenne pepper and yeah, the lemon. And the, yes, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I broke. I broke fourteen days of drinking water with cayenne pepper and the maple syrup and lemon yes. with cereal because I didn't know anything about breaking fat. (laughs) So I had it with cereal and I was so exhausted, I could barely move. And that actually, that cured me. After that, I was like, I can't eat cereal anymore. It just makes me exhausted.
2: The other thing with the carbs right before bed, and this is what I've noticed, is I wake up absolutely starving. Like absolutely starving where I have to eat again, because I feel like my blood sugar drops in the middle of the night. You know, I'll, I'll track my blood sugar and then I'll wake up even hungrier the next day and so it's it's easier to kind of pack on more calories in that sense, eating those carbs right before bed. So it's it's been so much different. It's so different this time around because back in 2011, it was, so, it was such a long time ago, I don't remember exactly everything. And now being able to document it throughout yeah. this journey is is even eye-opening for me. This time around, it, there's not as many surprises, also, I'll say, on the physical side. But I think this time around, being able to communicate it in a more effective way has really resonated with a lot of people like, oh my gosh, I had no idea I was eating that many calories because I eat like you, Drew. Mm -hmm. And I thought it was around 800 calories or 700 calories, just estimating. And people are like, I had no idea I was eating that much. Or man, I feel the brain fog too. Maybe if I switch, I can have that mental clarity that Drew's talking about. So I think sometimes people learn, not always by showing, being the example. They learn by, in a way, here's what happens if you do this. And then people are like, okay, that's what I'm doing. I don't want to. Be like that, I see the changes in Drew. How ha, this has probably affected me for so long, I'm just not as aware of it because it's been my norm for so long.
0: Yeah, how long, are you, how often are you doing your blood work?
2: So, so we'll do it uh, once a month throughout the journey, and then when I do those four diets, the phases will draw blood before and after each week. And I'm not sure what specific tests he's doing yet because one week isn't a ton of time to show a huge change in blood work, but he's doing some specific tests that will show changes week to week the types of foods that I'm eating. And then at least once a month, you know, on the journey back to fit as well.
0: Okay. And are, have you seen changes already at all? Or have, have you not done any blood? Well, blood the gets?
2: next one, so we did it at the beginning, August 27th, and then we'll do it again at the end of September to kind of show the difference. But I, I, I can feel a difference. <laughs> in oh yeah. My body. No.
0: How much weight have you gained?
2: 14 pounds the first week, which was, of course, a lot of water weight, you know, going yeah. from very low carb to eating, I think, the first day I had a thousand grams of carbs, which wow. is insane. Uh, 14 pounds the first week. Tomorrow is my next weigh in, so September 10th, that's my second weigh in. We'll see what my weight is then. But it, the weight loss does slow down. I know people are freaking out, like, I can't believe you gained 14 pounds. This is so unhealthy. But I was like, I know, but your body adjusts eventually and it's not going to gain 14 pounds every week,
0: so right. And and what does your family think right now? Are they you have two girls and your girlfriend? Like what do they think of it?
2: It's so funny because my girls were two and and newborn at the you know ah. two and newborn when I first did it. So they didn't really know what I was doing back then. Now they're nine and eleven, and they think it's funny. But it's so interesting because they obviously want to eat all the food I get to eat. I just was going to so, say, are you
0: letting them eat that?
2: <laughs> it's really hard to find that balance because I feel like if I say no all the time to where they can't have any of it, but they see me eat it all the time, it makes them want it more to where they probably will start to sneak it. So I say, okay, here, girls, here's the here's the agreement we have during this weight gain phase of gaining weight. I'm going to have a lot of this unhealthy food in the house. And here's the rules. I will let you pick one thing per day to be able to eat out of the, the food that I get. And that's gonna be your your one treat. But you have to agree that the rest of the day, the food I make you is what you'll eat. And so oh. so far it's been good, but sometimes I eat the food in front of them and I'm doing Facebook Live and they're like, I want that, I want that. And right? I'm like, oh, oh my gosh, gosh, this is so exhausting. You know, they're old enough and mature enough to kind of the way we talk to them too is really important because I don't wanna make it about weight necessarily, but more so about health. Yes. And my hope is that they'll be able to see the changes in me like breathing and you know my energy levels. They'll be able to see that as this happens so that maybe their eyes are even open too throughout this journey.
0: And, uh, yeah, I think that's really important. It will be. It actually... If you look if you look at the long game, they'll be like, Oh, when dad ate that, he felt... Look at what happened to him. And now, I bet that'll be really important for them. Yeah. And my girlfriend yeah. really
2: quick, she wanted me to make sure to say hello, because she loves all your videos. She oh, watches all t- your videos. Oh,
0: tell her <laughs> so, thank you. That's yeah. So awesome.
2: she's doing awesome. The food that was so interesting is she just wired differently. The food I eat, like this, the sugary cereal and the cheap processed food isn't her temptation. So that kind of food doesn't really, you know, she's not really tempted by that. But if I bring home like a like a decadent cake or a rich, like kind of fancy type of dessert, then that's when she wants it. But most of the time it's like Pop-Tarts or like, you know, sugary cereal or peanut butter cookies, like these things that don't really tempt her. So for the most part, she's good. And so, yeah, she she probably won't gain a lot of sympathy weight during this journey just because the types of foods I'm my eating. Oh my gosh. But we'll see how it affects her. <laughs> Poor
0: thing. Oh yeah, my God, I would I have to a reach out are... to her on social media. <laughs> she could come join our resetters and do some fasting while you guys are doing that. So She
2: needs support for sure on the yeah. other end. Yeah, so. <laughs> I,
0: I bet. Okay, what about your mental, any mental changes you've noticed? Like any agitation or anger or depression since you've gone on this?
2: Not really depression. Like I said, i I feel like I'm more self aware this time around. And I, I still continue to meditate every day. I still continue to journal and do a gratitude list. And those three things have helped me deal with not being able to work out, which is probably one of the hardest things is not because that's my therapy. That's my
0: right. Yeah. You know,
2: or even doing yoga with my girlfriend or going a hike with her. Those are my stress relievers and not being able to have that. Has been hard, but I feel like doing those daily practices of meditation and gratitude lists has helped me realize. And this is what I learned from the hundred miler: is I'm just talking to myself in a way where my body and my mind have an agreement. Like, okay, we're going to do this hard thing for four months. We know we, you know, we know it's is unhealthy. It's not going to be good for for us. But let's just get through it. And I promise that in the end, it'll be worth it. And then we'll go back to eating healthy and, and taking care of our health again. And this temporary phase, just like the hundred miler, is like this sucks. This is hard. Let's get through this. And I promise yeah. you, afterwards we'll take a break. You know, we'll, we'll we'll love ourselves again and get back to that.
0: So knowing, <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Knowing that it's temporary. What about the cost difference? Are you has your food bill gone down?
2: Yeah, I'm gonna start tracking that. I have a couple of receipts. In the beginning, I think buying all those foods, I have to... It's hard to do an exact comparison because I'm buying food for myself, but I'm also buying food for my girls. And so I got to figure out how to separate those because normally I just buy food for all of us and it's the same food versus my food and then my girl's food. So I will um, find a way to do an exact comparison and that'll probably be out in a blog post or a podcast uh, this next month.
0: Yeah, I'd be really curious on that because this is one of the one of the hurdles that we get up against is people are like, I hear what you're saying. I know I need to eat better, but it is so much cheaper for me to eat the standard American diet. Again, this is where I love fasting because everybody can fast. It, it doesn't matter how much, right, it's free. So if you, you know, we find a lot of our resetters, actually their food bill goes down because they're only eating one meal a day or, or every other day. But yes, if you're eating the standard American diet, you got to eat all day long. You, like you said, I'm really curious to to see. What about any... You talked about your whoop band. Any HRV sleep? Anything changed there?
2: 100%. I've been in the yellow or red sleep-wise for my recovery. My HRV has been... Let's see what my average is. It's, it's definitely under 100, which okay. is not good. So I've been in the yellow or red for the past at least week. So if you look at... Uh, I'm sure if you can see
0: yep, I, the yep. yellow.
2: Oh, it, yeah. Every single day, it's been bad. And and this time around, I've been drinking alcohol, where mm-hmm. in the beginning, I didn't drink alcohol. Or the first journey, I didn't drink alcohol. So my HRV, on average, has been 65, which is not good. And my recovery average is 25%. Wow.
0: What's your <laughs> so, what was your HRV prior to this?
2: Definitely over 100. If oh, I go wow. back... Yeah, if I if we go back, my HRV is definitely it used to be over a hundred back in the day, which kind of sucks, you know. Because right. I'm like, I know this is affecting me, yeah. And it just it, I have to just survive these next four months.
1: <laughs> yeah,
0: right. No, again, and just to fill everybody in, HRV is your ability to adapt to stress. So the lower it goes, the less adaptable you are. So I think that's I love all the all the testing you're doing. Did you, are you doing a stool test at all?
2: I haven't yet, but I'm, I'm trying to decide which brand which companies to use so if you have any recommendations yeah
0: we use the gut zoomer and we can connect you with the with vibrant with vibrant wellness they i'm doing some tests on my microbiome so i did a carnivore test i did a a week of carnivore i did a pre test stool test did only carnivore for a week and then i did a post test and then i'm going to do the same with with vegetarian and i'm going to do the same on a 5 day water fast And so that I can see what kind of changes we're making to the microbiome.
2: I would love that. I just, I didn't have any connections. So yeah, well, Brianna
0: at Vibrant Wellness will will get you her name. They'll love this kind of stuff because it really helps them, helps bring to light that your microbiome really changes when you do activities like this. And I'd be there's a ratio in, in the gut zoomer that's very interesting. It's called your Firmicutes to Bacteroides Ratio. And the standard American diet raises this ratio up and... If, it, if it's high, it becomes very difficult to lose weight. So you have to move into more of a carnivore lifestyle to be able to get it, uh, that ratio to come down. So I'd be curious if you ran that, find out what it is. And then when you went back, when you go fit again, go in to see if that ratio changes.
2: Yeah, that'd be great. I would love to get that data. The other thing I'm doing that I didn't mention is a wavy test on my brain, which measures brain function and like reactive scores and things like that. I'm also working with a memory expert who we ah. did some base, we did some baseline tests in the beginning, and we'll do it again in December to see how my brain function changes. So the wavy analysis, and then also the the memory test will be really interesting to see how my brain function is, you know, as this yeah. journey progresses.
0: I'm really curious on that because I do believe that we what I I know I love your intention of the empathy and all that. Like I think and care for yourself and self love that is such a powerful message and one that we really need to bring to the surface for people. I also really am hoping and why I'll continue to profile you is that people see that the stressors in their life may not be due to the stressors. It may be due to their, their physiology is making them react to their stressors. And yes. when you think, it's so common for people to go, oh, I'm getting older, I'm, you know, this is why I can't lose weight, but maybe it's because of the foods you've been eating all these years.
2: Yeah, 100%. And that's the whole thing is it's education, inspiration, motivation, but also the whole awareness of, of, of more empathy. It's, it's there's something for everyone on this journey. And that's why I think a lot of people are gravitating towards it is because it's not just, it's not just 100% science-based. It's not just 100% mental, emotional, self-love. It's its all of it combined. And that's kind of what my hope is to get across to people is a physical transformation isn't just about eating less and working out. It's mental, it's emotional, it's spiritual sometimes. It's all of it combined and that's where it becomes a part of you. It's more of a complete transformation rather than, okay, I'm gonna do this for thirty days and then if I don't get the results, then I'm just gonna go back to my old ways and you know, and maybe I'll put up with the process for a little bit longer. But you know, it's it's that constant battle of like, well, you're gonna die anyways and you know, you only live once, so (laughs) live it up.
0: Live it (laughs) up, but you don't yeah.
2: Yeah, I love myself, I care for myself, I want to be healthy and fit while I'm here and, and live in a healthy body so uh, that takes some sacrifice sometimes and it's it's finding that balance you know
0: yeah my one of my favorite quotes is tony robbins nothing tastes as good as healthy feels <sighs>
2: That's so true. It's that's a so really true. good
0: one. So Send me till so... crunch
2: is almost there, though. Send me till <laughs>
0: <laughs> Good. <kidding>. That's, that's <laughs> yeah. awesome. I, hey, I'm a cereal fan. I I'm right there yeah. with you. I'd come have a bowl of cereal with you. <laughs> um, okay, I'm gonna finish up with these five questions that we have for you that we'd love to know more about. Because I don't wanna, I don't wanna tank your energy. <laughs> I,
2: I know. It. I need a soda after this. for
0: sure. <laughs> <laughs> So, um, okay. I love this idea that you're doing these big, uncomfortable goals every year. What are you going to do after this one?
2: That's a good question. And I've actually thought about doing the 100 miler, but I'm super scared because the I only have four months to get back to fit. So after that, I'm going to take some time off. I think my body deserves a little bit of a break. So I might not do anything crazy in 2021, maybe 2022.
0: So stay tuned. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, I'm intrigued. What do you think in doing the 100 Miler and starting this journey, what do you feel like is the biggest and, and the pandemic, because we've all been dis- uncomfortable in the pandemic? What do you feel like is the biggest lesson you've learned this year?
2: I'll, I'll give one lesson from each of them. The pandemic was focusing on the important things in life. I think that really did that for a lot of people was mm-hmm. like, especially when it first happened, when there was that big fear or worry about the world being shut down, I think people started to focus on family, relationships, love. And that's super important. I think that was a good reminder. The 100 miler was, you know, testing our limits and being comfortable with with, uh, being uncomfortable. And then this journey is about bringing change to the fitness industry. And for me, it's about helping people become more self-aware of their bodies and their minds and their spirit and how it's all connected. So
0: that's kind of... Oh, I love that. I love that. Uh, we we interviewed Diane Kazar. I don't know if you know her on our podcast, and she no. uh, she was a fitness. She was a professional soccer player turned fitness bodybuilder, and then she got breast implants and got really really sick and it was so fascinating we ended up talking we i thought we would talk about the toxicity of breast implants and instead we talked about the mindset it took that she went through to feel like she needed the breast implants wow. it was a it was a fascinating conversation so okay what's your favorite podcast book inspirational input right now
2: right now that's a good one i've kind of uh, taken a break from a ton of podcasts but i do I'll, I'll say this and this is probably a cliche answer but tim ferriss's podcast is a good blend of the physical stuff the scientific stuff but also the mindsets stuff that i think everyone needs to have and i feel like it's a good balance of of just improving yourself in all areas of life and so if i do listen to a podcast or have time to some usually one of his cuz he brings on some pretty amazing people
0: hmm Awesome. Oh, I have to add that to my list. My pandemic aha is I've found so much joy in doing puzzles and listening to podcasts or listening yes. to books on tape. So I just do the, I just put a puzzle out and on a Saturday afternoon with a podcast on and it's just, and I put the, I actually took my kitchen table and put it in my living room and I, I <sighs> so that I could look out and watch the people walking by. It's been really That's fun. awesome, actually. Yeah. I'm
2: going to actually take
0: that and uh, It's, it's that. a great. It's <laughs> great to calm the mind. I actually did some research on puzzles and it, it, they say that it, the brain is programmed to fix things. So when you go into a puzzle situation, you start trying to put the pieces together to fix it. But it, it's calming because you know there's going to be a positive outcome.
2: Yes. So you're yep. not
0: stressed about <laughs> it because you're like, it's going to eventually get done. You'd be stressed exactly. if you thought you missed a piece maybe. So, <laughs> okay. If you had five recommendations for people that they do on a consistent basis, like five daily habits to keep themselves healthy, what would it be?
2: keep themselves healthy. Okay, this will be a multifaceted answer because I feel like there's gonna be some physical things in here, but also some mental and emotional things for people. I think implementing some type of fasting, whether you are vegan, vegetarian, paleo, keto like I don't care, some type of fasting. And that's great for the body and the mind because it builds up that mental discipline of becoming comfortable with being uncomfortable. The second thing I would say is to have a daily discipline, like making your bed or something that's repetitive every day. Because I feel like you start your day off right, where you can be disciplined with one small thing. You can be disciplined with a lot of other things in life. The third thing would be some type of journaling or writing something down, gratitude list, maybe how your day was, maybe something you want to work on that day, your intention for the day, some type of journaling or writing. The fourth thing would be a meditation or prayer, some type of inner work where you connect with yourself or higher power. I think that's really important. And the last thing would be some type of movement. It doesn't have to be bench press and squats. Getting out in nature, if you can, would probably be the most beneficial thing for you. It's not gonna give, going for a walk isn't going to give you six-pack abs. Right. But the, the therapeutic benefits you get from going for a walk and the physical benefits are worth it, in my opinion, to, to do as a daily practice.
0: Yeah. I love all of those. Uh, those are awesome. Okay. Last question. If you had one mission or one message for the world that you can implant in everybody's brain, you'd want the whole world to know what would that message be?
2: That you are worth it to operate out of a place of self-love versus self-hate. And then I promise you all your other relationships will change once you learn how to love yourself first, because I promise you, like you said, hurt people hurt people. But lo- people that feel loved, love other people. And so I feel like that's the biggest shift, mental shift that I've made over the past 30 plus years of my life is learning how to love myself. And then all my other relationships, looking at other people, completely change. So
0: that's this so world true.
2: would be a much better place if that happened.
0: Ah. Oh. I love that. You're amazing, Drew. And we're <laughs> Thanks, cheering you. Yeah, we're <laughs> cheering you on. We will follow you on Instagram. Is where I follow you. Is there? How else do people watch this journey?
2: Yeah, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube. My website is fittofattoforty. 40com com. If you want to follow the journey and sign up and, and be notified every time I go live or all that stuff, fit to fat to forty, either four zero or f-o-r-t-y.com. And then my social media handles are all fit. Number two, fat. Number two, fit. Awesome,
0: awesome. And we'll put all those links in there, and we're going to bring you back at, yes. maybe, at maybe like March of next year after you've had a couple months under your belt, <laughs> and we'll see how you're doing. So sounds good. Anyway, thank, thank you for taking your time. Really appreciate it. Take care. Thanks. So I've teamed up with Tony Horton. We also included a free bonus meal plan and a customized tailor way you can eat right for yourself. Also, of course, we put some fasting in there and it was a beautiful meeting of the minds. So this is like a passion project that I'm so excited to share with you. And in order to get it, all you gotta do is visit DrMindy.org and use the code PS60PELS. Okay. So Resetters, the first thing I have running through my mind post-interview, and I'm curious Jessica's opinion on this, is would you do that? Would you put yourself through that experience? I think at first, like when he talked about the Cinnamon Crunch cereal, <laughs> I was like, yeah, But then the idea of having to eat that way all day long and the fact that it would make you more hungry and more tired. I mean, we've interacted with Drew in a lot of places and literally as I was interviewing him, I could see he was losing energy and I was like, I got to, I got to stop this interview so he can, he's, he's about to go replenish.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I don't think I could do it. And I think for a couple of reasons, as he was talking, I was remembering when I first met you and I learned all this stuff and like the slow progress of changing over to this kind of lifestyle. You definitely have to go over a lot of physical and emotional and a mental barriers Yeah. to get to where you are. So I don't, I don't really want to go through that process again. I like where I'm at. And then yep. I think too of, I don't like like when I just kind of go off or, you know, like when you go to a friend's house and they're not maybe using the right ingredients or they're serving toxic wine. And then I don't like how I function the next day. So doing that times 20 for months, I don't think
0: so. Yeah. And I also I'm the same way. It's like the thing that stops me from going back to the place. And I was, I mean, 30 years ago when I was in my twenties, I mean, I cereal, soda, fast food, like I was all in on all of that. And I think about how I, I feel healthier at 50 than I did at 20. And I'm like, I, you know, there's a part of me that's like, I hear him talk and I'm like, yeah, I'd love some cinnamon crunch. That'd be pretty awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Is that your favorite? (laughs) Uh, No, Frosted Flakes. Ooh, I think mine was Lucky Charms. Oh, no, I like when the flakes get a little, like, they get a little uh, soggy. Oh, God. Oh, my God, I'm salvating. <laughs> That's how I'm having an emotional reaction. So, but I did not like how I felt back then. I was the hangry person all the time. If I didn't eat, I would just, I would want to kill somebody. Like, I, I remember I used to, even when you first met me, for prior to doing all the fasting, we would, like, I would have snacks. I would, it would take me 10 minutes to leave the house. Because I would have to gather the snacks if I was going to be gone all day. Right. And
1: make the smoothie. I remember we used to make smoothies. We would do the whole thing. yeah. (laughs) Like walking out the door was like a full-time job gathering my food. I kind of forgot about that. You're right. And now it's so easy to walk out of the house for you and I, for those of us that are fasting. it's because I just know I'm not going to eat till I get back home. That's right. And I'll, yeah. So, and then I do, for those of you that are new to fasting or to this, you know, the keto,
0: we call it more of a diet variation lifestyle. There, you know, I, what I heard in with him and what's so intriguing is how he's gone to the standard American diet and he's so hungry. Mm-hmm. And it makes me think even harder about what it takes to take somebody from that into a fasting lifestyle. And we had already figured out that our um, community really needed a stepping stone into the fasting lifestyle. So you, we've got that coming for you guys where we're going to take you through how do you go from a state of what Drew is going into into a state of metabolic flexibility. But it is interesting when you're, if, you're, if you haven't tried fasting and you're listening to this, it sounds crazy to try fasting because you're hungry all the time. But when you get the food and the macros and all that figured out, it is
1: amazing how fasting starts to feel effortless. Mm -hmm. I know, I'm trying to think back to when you and I first started fasting. I mean, for those of you listening, when we were in our snacking point of view, we were at a seminar with Dr. Pompa and he was talking about how snacking was terrible, don't do it. And her and I are sitting in the front row, stuffing our face with nuts and beef sticks. Yeah. And And then, and I'm trying to think of like, how did we start decide. I don't even I can't even think about no, the minutes. So so this was the this
0: is how it went down is we wanted to go learn about detox and so we found a seminar and we ended up like within a week's time, we, f- we took a red eye to Atlanta. So we had been up all night. We took our snacks, by the way. We didn't have time. to. So I had to pack my sta- snacks in California to go to Atlanta. So packed all my snacks in my big bag and we didn't sleep. Take this red eye. We check into the hotel. Our room's not ready. So they're like, you can go, you know, wash your armpits in the, in the bathroom <laughs> of, of the lobby. And then we find ourselves in this seminar and it was on detox, but it was also on fasting. And so we're we're literally in the front row and about two hours into the seminar, I just start pulling the snacks (laughs) out. (laughs) I start giving them to Jessica and about, I don't know, maybe I realized it when we didn't break for lunch. There was no lunch break. And I'm like, why aren't we eating lunch? This is really weird. And then I look around and I'm like, Nobody's eating snacks. And you know, when you pull a snack out and rest- all the noise, <laughs> yeah, you have to wrestle with like at the at a seminar, and everybody, I'm sure, was like, "Who are those people?" <laughs> Why are they eating? Don't they know? Look at so,
1: all, look at where we've come from. And I know. Now, now, all we talk about is fasting. I know.
0: Now, fasting's like our lifestyle. So, that gives you, if that gives you guys any hope, I mean, not really. We, this was as little as five years ago. And then, once we understood the power of
1: fasting, it just became so much more in alignment with our philosophy of how the body works. So, yeah. Oh, I was gonna say, what do you also think? Don't you find it interesting that almost everybody we've had on it all usually comes back to this like self love yeah. and feeling worthy and believing in yourself? I just find it like if anybody hasn't been following the whole thing, it's like a unifying message with each guest, yeah, so
0: my last question I ask all the guests are what you know this what what what's your message for the world? And the majority of them say love of some kind love each other connection to other people self love so it's so interesting it doesn't matter where what genre you're coming from it doesn't matter what your expertise is it doesn't matter your religion your political beliefs it doesn't matter everybody
1: comes back to this message of love and it's it's really profound it's That's really cool and really what cool. a better place we would all be no matter what our perspectives are on diet or politics or fasting or Whatever it is, if we all just went to that core belief of love and that you're enough, yeah. it's really interesting to see what a better world, place is. Love world for
0: yourself, be. love for others. I think right now, this is a time in history where we really need to love people of different opinions. So it's it, it's funny because loving is hard. It's easy and it's hard, right? It's right. easy when we are in alignment with the person. It's hard when we're not. So what did you think of the, what's going to go on for his girls? Because mm. I thought that was interesting. If I brought a bunch of junk food to my house,
1: my you know my son would be like, "Great, this is the best day ever." <laughs> right? I thought <laughs> I thought his boundaries that he set up for it was really good, but I would imagine that's hard, especially because those girls are probably have friends that eat like that, and so. You know, they're wanting to go into like what their friends get to experience on a daily basis of having this plethora of, you know, what we would call unhealthy foods. I mean, it's a good stepping stone I think he's using with them. I think ultimately it
0: will serve them. Yeah. But I think, you know, the taste buds are so easy to train in a certain way. I, I have watched the metamorphosis that my children have taken and they've gone from growing up in a healthy household to really, you know, branching out and trying foods that aren't healthy. And then what's really exciting is that I think because they've the, their taste buds have been trained for so many years that now... They, as they a get older, they they it's natural for them to come back to a healthy living because that's what their tra- taste buds were trained for so long. So I actually think over time it will be a, a great lesson, and it, it'll be a small little blip in their health path.
1: Yeah, but it's it's really that was really fascinating to think of it from their perspective. Right. Agreed. What do you think of this 100-mile run? Is it on your list of being yeah, uncomfortable? No. no, so here's my story on that. I did my bucket... One of my
0: bucket list things 25 years ago was to run a marathon. Always wanted to do one. And so I'd, I signed up for one and I trained with a friend. It was up in San Francisco. We go to do it and prior... Check this this out. This is so me too. Prior to the run... Somebody said to us, just be careful because the longer you go, the more your bladder or bowels, you may not be able to control them. <laughs> and so of course, this is where you don't let people's limiting beliefs get in your head. So that got into my head. So we, I started running the run. It was, it was toward about mile 13 is when it got bad for me. And towards the end, just everything hurt. But about a half a mile from the finish line, I thought, Oh my god, I'm gonna poop my pants! Like I, I better go off in a bush, and I'm gonna lose. I should have asked him if he had any. I was gonna say we should have asked him. I'm gonna go back and ask him if he had any blower, bowler, bladder problems. But he, it it was. I I was. I didn't. Thank God. But it was like the limiting belief kept coming up. And anyways, I finished it. My body hurt for three days afterwards. I couldn't get out of bed. It was so I was in such agony that I didn't run for a whole year afterwards, and I just decided that wasn't what I wanted to do. So I'm not sure I have a craving for a hundred mile, but I do like this idea of us really trying getting too program for comfort, and what can we do that's uncomfortable?
1: This is where I think fasting can really kick in. Yeah, I think so too. It's funny because I, as he was talking about that, I was. This past week, I've been thinking about our conversation with Bill Schindler and and some of the stuff that he's like gone and, and done, and it got me thinking. Okay, like like we were watching his great human race, and I was thinking, okay, go to South Af- Africa and you live with this tribe, and all you get is cow milk and blood. Okay, what what do I have access to? I probably don't have access to a shower. Probably, you know wouldn't have the ability to wash my hair. I probably couldn't bring much because you can't carry much because they obviously don't have much. Okay. I'm not going to get to eat. I could do the fasting part, but everything that I've craved even in my healthy life is going to be gone. Like the limiting beliefs start happening of like, what would that be like to be with these people for, but so that's kind of where my brain went to. Okay. If I was going to do something uncomfortable, it sure is not ever going to be a hundred mile race. I don't even want to do a five mile race.
0: (laughs) It would be It would be living with indigenous people
1: drinking blood. Yeah, and milk. I feel like well I feel like that would be up there on something that's uncomfortable. That's immediately what came to my mind yeah. of what what in my future would be something uncomfortable that's
0: fascinating. So I don't know what my next discomfort, I think it's time for sure for me to do a five-day water fast. I haven't done one this year because the pandemic was uncomfortable. <laughs> enough. <laughs> now that I'm getting a little more comfortable with it, maybe it's time to try that. I also think the more I've studied hormones, I, the, the, which is why I'm so happy he's ha- measuring his sex hormones, mm-hmm. because the more I've uh, understood hormones, the more I realize that they're too much stress, physical, emotional, chemical stress, especially for a woman going through menopause is really detrimental. So, but does that mean we stay comfortable? I'm supposed to stay comfortable and not stress myself. Right. So I'm left with that question. Maybe I need to bring back like Sarah Godfrey or somebody and we can chat with her about that. Cause I, for, from a mental standpoint, I absolutely understand this. like, let's, Let's stop trying to seek comfort. Let's stop trying to always keep ourselves in a comfortable place. But then from a hormonal standpoint, when you're dealing, you're in a 50-year-old woman, your adrenals are what is helping produce sex hormones. How much stress can my body and mind take? And that's sort of the question I'm left with.
1: Yeah. Well, and I, but I mean, I think it's also, if you're talking about continual stress or you know, random spurts of stress that you're voluntarily <laughs> signing up for. Yeah. I think there is that difference. Whereas I think for like the hormone aspect, is that for a majority of women right now, they're under constant, continual stress all day long. We got to fix that problem because that problem is, I think, way more significant than every once in a while doing something like a hundred mile race. I'm not saying people women should go out and do a hundred mile race. But you see what I'm saying? It's like a different aspect of stress. I like that. Yeah. I like that. That's that's good. And we're interviewing Zach, his trainer. Yeah, we are. I love it. Yeah. So it's funny that he mentioned him.
0: Yeah. Okay. Well, I have a lot of questions about keto and fasting. I want to run my protein cycling theory past him and see what he says because we're seeing it work so well. So I'm kind of curious what he thinks on it.
1: I I bet he's got some good perspective because I when I was messaging you during the interview, I think he was just on Joe Rogan talking about carnivore Mm. doing carnivore and doing these longer runs. I feel like I just heard him talking about that.
0: Well, this is fascinating, guys. We loved it. Hope you loved it as well. If you give us a comment, let us know how this, what you thought of this episode. If you're not familiar, the Resetter podcast actually has its own Instagram. And I'm over there talking about some of the tips of what I've learned in these interviews. It's so fascinating. We've got some great little mic drop moments from the from each, yes. each episode. So find us over there and let us know what you thought of this episode. It would be awesome
1: whole foods in you take all empty foods out you put organic food in and you shake bad toxins out you eat ketobiotic and your microbiome shouts that's what it's all about you put fast cycling in you take over eating out you put the good fats in trying seven fast types out you download carb manager where your food is all graphed out That's what it's all about That's what resetting is all about